written out. Welcome to Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. I'm Sean Canaan. Today we will talk to a student leader of this coming Friday's climate strike. That's coming up at the bottom of the hour. First, we're going to bring you a panel discussion with legal experts who help people in need and we'll focus on migrants. And later in the show, we'll take your calls with questions. The number to call in is 813-239-9663. But we're going to do that later in the show. So if you want, you can email uh, your questions in in the first half, and I'll read them later. DJ at WMNF.org. You can also text 813-433-0885. Please put your first name and where you're texting from, if you don't mind, so that I can read that on the air. We begin the show with an interview I did with three lawyers from the nonprofit organization Gulf Coast Legal Services. In July, GLS announced that it had seen a surge of clients after the news of increased immigration raids and deportations across the country. So to find out why the surge and what kind of services they provide, I recently interviewed Gina Blair. She's their managing attorney for family law. Lisa Murray, their managing attorney for immigration and human rights. And Malvina Tashi, their supervising attorney at Gulf Coast Legal Services. Why Mama office. So here they are beginning with a response by Gina Blair. Well, thank you so much for joining us on WMNF today. I want to first ask one of you, tell us what is Gulf Coast Legal Services? Uh, Gulf Coast Legal Services is a nonprofit civil legal aid organization. We've been in existence for 41 years and we provide services along the Gulf Coast, literally. Um, From north of Tarpon Springs to south of Venice, we are the only legal aid provider in in the region. We provide free legal assistance to victims of crime, to victims of domestic violence in a variety of, of areas. Um, those services include housing representation, such as landlord-tenant issues, folks that are trying to save their homes from foreclosure, also fair housing discrimination cases. Um, another large area for our service area is family law. We work primarily and almost exclusively with uh, victims of domestic violence. Most of those clients are referred by our local domestic violence shelters who we've been in partnership with all 40 years of our existence, actually. Um, The services we provide to those victims are obtaining injunctions for protection against the batterer, uh, injunctions against stalking or sexual violence, and then we proceed to represent victims who may need assistance in obtaining a divorce from their abuser or a paternity case that would set up child support and time-sharing if if that's ordered by the court basically looking to take the work we do and help victims become stable and empowered to leave the abuser is the goal of our family law project. And Lisa Murray runs our immigration unit, and I know she can talk more about the wonderful services provided there. Sure. In our immigration unit, we are really focused on helping uh, folks to obtain legal status through humanitarian applications. So we began our immigration unit back in about 2003 when there was a real recognition that there were many folks in our area who may qualify for a legal immigration status, but due to their vulnerabilities and their situations, they may not be able to obtain the relief that they qualify for. So at that time, we initiated our immigration unit to focus on humanitarian 
humanitarian relief. And what that means and what we are focused on is assisting victims of crime. And that includes working with clients who have been victims of human trafficking, who have been victims of domestic violence, who have been victims of sexual assault, child abuse, child sexual assault, and who, because of their victimization, may qualify for relief if they are willing to come forward, to report their victimization, to work with law enforcement in investigating and prosecuting the crimes that they suffered. So we began our unit and began helping these individuals who qualify for relief based on on their victimization. So we continue in that work uh, that we began about 15 years ago, and we have several offices where we see clients and work with them to to obtain legal status. You recently opened a new office in the Waimama area. Why there and what's the response been? We actually have been having a partnership with the Bethel Ministry for, uh, I would say, the past 10, 15 years um, as we initiated our new immigration unit, as Lisa mentioned. And uh, we've always worked closely with them. Um, so once we uh, received new funding to serve the Hillsborough County uh, residents, uh, we couldn't think of a better place um, to be located at other than the Bethel Ministry. And they have been a great supporter um, in referring clients to us um, and allowing us to use their spaces. If we have a flux of clients or if there's clients that have special needs, we could always use uh, their space. So um, that area specifically is one where there's a great uh, farm worker population and a lot of times uh, they are the most vulnerable and the ones that cannot afford legal services. So we are, I mean, really the only legal service provider that could assist as directly as we could being located there. Oftentimes you hear that people who have immigration statuses that that might make them deportable, they're concerned about coming to any kind of authority in order to get any kind of help because they worry, well, if they go to the police, maybe they're being domestically uh, battered. And if they go to the police with that information, they may get deported. Or if they have any kind of legal issues, they just keep it to themselves. Is this something that you found? And what would you recommend to people in that situation? That fear is very much real. A lot of times we meet with clients that have been uh, victims of severe crimes such as sexual assault. And really the mentality is that I would rather take whatever is happening to me than be in touch with authorities because of the fear of what might come after that. Even though the system is there to serve any person that is located in that area Law enforcement is there to respond to any emergencies. However, they're in fear um, for their livelihood uh, of what might happen after that. So they just choose to stay quiet. And then there are those that they just decide enough is enough and they do report and they take it up until the point where they cooperate with the investigation of the crime. They cooperate with the state attorney's office. And in those cases, they would be eligible for relief based on the law. So because they were a victim of a crime, that gives them a better chance at at getting um, immigration status? Um, Yes, if they 
like I mentioned earlier, if they cooperated until the end of the uh, investigation and prosecution of the crime. But not all crimes would make one eligible for immigration relief. There is a set categories of, they're called general categories of crimes. So if you were a victim of simple theft, I mean, that would not qualify. Most of those crimes are very severe, like sexual assault and felonious assault, really serious crimes. And recently you've been seeing a surge in people needing your services and coming to you for those services. Uh, How can you describe that surge? It has something to do with the fear of immigration raids around the country. Is that right? Absolutely. A lot of our clients have families um, and, you know, they have children that are U.S. citizens. So really that fear comes because of what would happen to their children if they were removed. So a lot of times they just want to have a plan in place. And also if they can find out that there is any relief available, even better. But yes, absolutely. I think it comes because they want to be prepared for anything that might come. There's really more awareness now as well about some of the relief that is available for victims of crime. So we partner with our local domestic violence shelters and the advocates there have uh, been trained and have learned about immigration relief for victims of crime. When victims are working with the shelters and have that comfort in working with the advocates who then refer the clients to us, there is an added comfort level to understand that we are working with them to evaluate their case for relief and to assist them in reporting to law enforcement. And really the idea behind these forms of relief, um, which include, for example, the U-Visa, which is a visa for victims of crime that Malvina was just speaking of, the idea behind it really is a a dual intent. Mm -hmm. So the idea is that the government and, and local law enforcement want victims to come forward and report the crimes that they have suffered. And that way, local law enforcement knows about the crime that's happening in the community, and they are able to investigate and to prosecute these crimes. So uh, along with that is the benefit for for the victim who is willing to overcome that fear and to report their crime, to assist law enforcement, you know, to show up at the state attorney's office for their interview, maybe to show up in court and testify against their trafficker, against their abuser, Mm -hmm. um, and and then to qualify for that benefit that, that comes through the program. Well, that was Lisa Murray from Gulf Coast Legal Services. Before that, we heard Gina Blair and Malvina Tashi. And you're listening to 88.5 FM, WMNF Tampa. This is WMNF.org. My name is Sean Canan, and we're listening to an interview with three lawyers from Gulf Coast, Gulf Coast Legal Services. We're going to continue with this interview right now. Don't forget that later on in the show, we're going to have an interview, a live interview in this case, with a youth climate activist to talk about Friday's climate strike. Well, here is more of the Gulf Coast Legal Services interview, beginning with Lisa Murray's response to my question about how the scale of the need for their services is increasing. We do have numbers. Um, and you know, I can say even at the, the national level for the U visa program, the numbers of people applying has, has skyrocketed. In fact, it's to the point where there's actually only 10,000 visas available 
per year. That's the the limit in the law that was created um, for these kinds of visa. And it's every year it's surpassed by thousands and thousands of applications. And we've also seen that um, increase in in our own services. And we, you know, look at our cases on a regular basis and we're Fortunately, you know, we're, we're getting relief coming in every day in the forms of work authorizations um, that are sort of the first step um, in our cases that, that comes through as the first benefit, even while folks are still waiting for their full relief work authorizations and folks able to get their driver's license. And then, you know, when their status comes through, obtaining their legal status here, um, and then eventually, you know, taking it down the line to becoming legal permanent resident and citizen so, you know, we've helped hundreds and hundreds of folks over the years in our service area, um, as Gina mentioned, spanning Sarasota, Manatee, Pinellas, Hillsborough County. Um, you know, we've, we've helped quite a few folks. Well, we've talked about the migrant farm worker community in Waimama, but where are some other places on the Gulf Coast of Florida where there's a lot of people in need of your services? Actually, our main offices are in Manatee County in Bradenton and in St. Petersburg. We also have some off-site projects, of course, as we've mentioned in Bethel, but also in Clearwater. We find there's a huge abundance of need in Manatee County uh, with the variety of issues in, involving domestic violence, human trafficking, and, and immigration issues, but also the Clearwater area has had a huge influx of victims from Hurricane Maria who've resettled there and so we, we have a project specifically meeting with those clients and addressing their needs as well. Um, talking about increases in crime, we've also over the past several years, unfortunately, seen large spikes in the need for services to victims of human trafficking and domestic violence. Um, with the interaction between immigration and domestic violence, what we see is U.S.-born uh, citizens that will marry an undocumented uh, client, and then that is is used as a form of abuse as well, that they may turn them over to ICE, um, leading them to believe that they have no rights whatsoever in this country. So as we were talking about, it's very important we work with the shelters to ensure that the clients get the, the kind of counseling that they need. But it's also very important to our team that we receive that training as well, that we do trauma-informed care, that we're empowering of these victims to make their own decisions to, to better their lives here for them and their families. And some of the cases Lisa and I have worked on specifically in Manatee County and Pinellas County involve that intersection of a victim of domestic violence who's also in need of immigration um, services and child support uh, status to be gotten. So those are, those are real overlapping and high need issues. Take us through a case study, if you don't mind, without, of course, giving away the client's name or anything specific, a case that you can think of that would really push this the idea of what's happening here home, uh, someone that you've interacted with that would give an idea to people of what's happening out there in the community. I know one case that comes to mind that Lisa and I've worked on, uh, as well as a couple other staff people in each office have been critical uh, in assisting the clients, was a client who was a victim of human trafficking. Uh, she was brought here from Haiti and forced to work as a uh, CNA uh, of sorts in an elder community home that was housed in a 
private home. And that's a type of nurse? It is exactly a type of nurse. And she was working um, all day in that position. Then all evening would be cleaning in the facility, never seeing her wages. They were never provided to her. In addition, the owner of the business was her husband, who was highly abusive and would even retain her children from her at times and use that as a form of coercion. Uh, He then wanted to to move on and uh, did seek a divorce from her. At the time, he had her sign a marital settlement agreement on all the issues involving their home, their children, and she read through it not knowing the language and not knowing what her rights were and agreed to and signed off on giving everything away, including her children and the right to have regular time sharing with her children. So when she came to Gulf Coast, she was referred by a local shelter who knew of her situation, and it looked somewhat hopeless because once you do enter into an agreement like that, it's much like a contract and there's not a lot that the family court can do but the attorney that jumped in on the case I worked with him and we were able to go into court and explain the situation and get the marital settlement agreement set aside we went to future mediation to resolve the issues and and Lisa and her team worked on the immigration component of that and that's still pending but that's looking positive for the client too as a victim of human trafficking and violence she also learned a lot about the resources that are available to her. So that's one story that does come to mind. Sure. And then, you know, we've handled a lot of human trafficking cases as well. And one that comes to mind, just as an example, involved a client who is a victim of domestic servitude. So with our human trafficking work, it really spans all kinds of industries for for forced labor. And, you know, we've helped folks who have been in human trafficking schemes, in in agriculture, in assisted living facilities, in forced commercial sexual activity, prostitution, in restaurant work, really it can span many industries. And also in domestic servitude, we see that quite frequently. So we worked with a client who was from Southeast Asia and who actually came over to the U.S. on a visa because she was going to be working for a diplomat. And this was a family friend of theirs from back home. So she entered the country legally, and then when she got here, found out that it was not going to be the work that was expected and was held captive in the home of the diplomat's son and forced to cook, clean, take care of the kids, not allowed to leave, not allowed to call back home to her family um, with the threat of, you know, we're holding your passport, your status is going to expire, you're going to be illegal here. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the fear that she felt was incredible and and terrifying for her. So she was in that situation for several years. Um, She was not able to leave. And, and, you know, she had a little bit of freedom to, to walk down the street and to go with the kids to their activities, but the coercion that was there behind the scenes and the threats that were being made of what could be done to her family back home, because this was a very powerful family who were her traffickers, and also the abuse that she was receiving because she was also um, being sexually abused by the gentleman in the home. So she was really living in fear and was in this situation for several years. And it wasn't until a neighbor started to suspect that something just wasn't really right and was able to kind of pull her away when they were visiting the house and begin to ask questions and 
gained her trust and after some time helped her to escape. So um, with our connections with the local human trafficking organizations um, who refer to us, we were able to start working with her and we did obtain a T visa for her. So now she has legal status here in the U.S. I mean, it, it did take and continues to take a lot of uh, work with counseling and um, with getting back on her feet and getting herself um, stabilized. But, you know, it's a wonderful result when, when we have, you know, great outcomes of of getting legal relief and immigration status for for folks. What's a T visa? And earlier you mentioned a U visa. What are they? Sure. So those are two of the programs that provide legal immigration status for victims of crime. So the T visa is for victims of human trafficking, and that includes people who have been victimized in labor through forced labor and also exploited through commercial sexual activity. So for foreign-born individuals who who are exploited in that way, they qualify for a T-Visa for immigration relief based on their victimization. It does require them to to report what they suffered. Law enforcement, depending on, on the case, sometimes moves forward with a prosecution against traffickers. Other times, you know, there's an investigation that, that may not move forward after that. However, if the victim has cooperated, then we are able to apply for legal relief for them. The victimization is one part of the case. They also have to qualify for the relief based on a review of their own personal history and any criminal acts they may have or their their own immigration history that is looked at uh, very carefully. We work with our clients to file for the T visas and they are adjudicated by United States Citizenship and Immigration Services. So that's an affirmative petition that we help them to make. And if it is granted, then they have a legal status that eventually does lead to becoming a legal permanent resident and eventually a citizen. The U visa is a visa for victims of crime. So the list of crimes includes serious, you know, severe crimes, as Malvina spoke about, things like domestic violence and child abuse, murder, felony assault are some of the examples of of crimes that would qualify for victims who report their victimization. We have relationships with all of the local law enforcement agencies for getting certifications. The U visa requires a certification to continue to apply for the immigration relief. And the local law enforcement are great partners of ours to sign these certifications that certify that that this person was victim of a crime and that they are cooperating in the investigation and prosecution. And then we would work with that client to put together their entire package for for the affirmative relief um, in the form of the U visa. Well, that was Lisa Murray. She is a lawyer with Gulf Coast Legal Services. We also heard Malvina Tashi and Gina Blair. And you're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. It's 1228 in the afternoon. My name is Sean Canan. I'm the host of Midpoint Monday. And we're going to hear one more segment of this interview with with lawyers from Gulf Coast Legal Services. And uh, then we're going to talk to a student leader of the climate strike movement, Uh, So I hope you stay tuned for that on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. We will be broadcasting that live on Facebook as well. I'll give you the address in just a minute. But let's hear the third and final part of of my interview with these three lawyers. 
It will start with Malvina Tashi. I'm going to ask her about uh, if she can talk about a case study that she has um, has is familiar with has has represented someone who had needed help from Gulf Coast Legal Services on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. I can think of one. This particular client made it to the United States at the age of 15 because a U.S. citizen had fronted the money to a coyote for her to come and be a nanny and uh, also what you would call somebody that would clean your house, like a cleaning person. So she came in and it was a different uh, world for her. Um, She was forced to have sexual relations with the head of the household. She was forced to have sexual relations with other men. She had no one to back her up, so she eventually escaped. And from that, she ended in another situation where other men uh, took advantage of her. And finally, with her most recent abuser, she managed to call the police and report the abuse because throughout, I would say, the last 10, 15 years, she had not been able to go and report the crime. The crime that she actually reported was an attempted sexual assault, and she did cooperate with the investigation of that crime. So that is a case I can think of. We're assisting that client in obtaining relief for a U visa. The human trafficking that you've been talking about, some of it seems like maybe it's just a case of one individual having the opportunity and taking advantage of the system and becoming a, a human trafficker. But is there an organized, um, you know, you mentioned the coyotes, is there an organized system where there's just this criminal ring that people in the U.S. can tie into? Is it just a case of individuals becoming bad or is there a ring that's associated with human trafficking? It's definitely both. Um, You know, we see individual cases and then we see the large scale scheme cases. And, you know, there are some human trafficking rings that have thousands of victims. For our work, we have some scheme cases in agricultural labor um, where there has been hundreds of victims. So it really spans the gamut. On the other side of the coin, we have lots of folks who have come and expect to work and get here and it's it's just different situation than they were promised and you know they're the only one who's who's involved it's a very targeted um sometimes family friend or mm-hmm. or known um relationship that the trafficker has with the victim so um it can span really uh, the gamut from from very very large scale to individual we're hearing about people from Southeast Asia, from Haiti, uh, maybe Mexico, I'm assuming, or Central America. Where else? What are some of the other places where um, a lot of the victims here are coming from into our community? I would say they're from all over. Crime doesn't recognize nationality, origin, but it's a truth that most often immigrants are very vulnerable and they are prone to being victims of crime um, more often than not. So, yeah, I don't think crime has any origin as to who is being targeted, but they're from all over. 
What are some services besides legal services? People that you encounter might need a range of services. So if, if you know someone or if you are someone who is perhaps in need of legal services, there might be other services that, that you would also need. Where can they get help? Where can people find help for the other types of things besides legal help, if that's something that you could answer? Sure. Um, we partner very closely with our local domestic violence centers and sexual assault centers. So we always recommend that clients who are victimized in, in that way connect with their local shelters because they provide a lot of services, everything from a free phone. Their safety plan is to stay living in the home with the abuser. They can get a free phone that only calls 911. Um, they can get resources such as planning, how to save up and, and hide away uh, income to escape. They can get free flash drives to allow them to download their documents uh, in case they need to flee in a hurry. So the, the resources with our local shelter of Spark in Sarasota, Hope of Manatee in Manatee County, and then in Pinellas County, Casa and the Haven of RCS are critical uh, for our work and for the clients that we work with. In addition to that, we always do try to connect clients that are eligible. It, it's very few of them for any resources they may be able to get with Social Security or um, SNAP benefits and those types of resources. So those are the main connections that we will make when we're working with a senior. The Area Agency on Aging has a location in both Pinellas and in the south area of Manatee and Sarasota County, and they're invaluable in assisting us with uh, options for seniors who may also be in an abusive situation, sadly, sometimes with their own family members. And once that abuser is removed, they need connections to in-home health care or someone to assist with daily living tasks. So that's another agency that we refer to and work really closely with as well. How would someone in that situation be eligible for SNAP benefits or for Social Security? Because most undocumented immigrants would absolutely not be eligible for any of those benefits. Exactly. We'd be looking at clients we're working with that are seniors, that are U.S. citizens, that are fleeing domestic violence, but are U.S. citizens or seniors. Yes. Those were my questions, but if there's anything that we have left off this discussion, feel free to, to uh, let us know right now. Yeah, well, I, we just want to emphasize, you know, that Gulf Coast Legal Services is here in the community. Um, we encourage people to call us for their legal needs. We also are community partners, so we, we do work really closely with the other agencies in town, and we refer to those uh, providers at well, as well. So we encourage folks who need help to give us a call, and we'll do everything we can to help people out. What's the number? 727-821-0726. And I would also just want to reemphasize that our services are for low-income clients in many of our service areas, and they are completely free. Um, if a person has been victimized and a victim of crime, or they are low-income or a senior, these are free services that an attorney can represent or consult and advise you on your civil legal proceedings. Um, and again, we don't do criminal law, but we do do pretty much every area of civil law. A couple of projects we didn't miss 
mention uh, but are invaluable to our, our work as well are the consumer project that we run and that is assisting mainly seniors but also other low-income folks that have gotten into consumer schemes and need legal assistance and representation to get out of that situation as well as we offer a birth certificate clinic that works with homeless clients and seniors primarily in obtaining identification and the reason we find that to be a, a really helpful project is it, it helps people to not only have ID to travel and to do the pleasant things in life but it also helps with voter registration and we think that it's important for our clients to be able to be active and, and eligible for, for voting rights they're entitled to so that star ID on your license we, we help clients to obtain that who might not otherwise be able to so those are just a couple more projects that we have going and yes if you want to reach us it's 727-821-0726 I'll just add on one more point and that's that although we work very closely with shelters and, and different community providers it's people in the community who know about Gulf Coast and refer a lot, a lot of our clients to us so if you ever think you meet someone who might be a victim of human trafficking or domestic violence or need immigration relief it's one person at a time in the community that really can make a difference because most of our referrals still come from individuals in the community that have told our clients about this resource. Before we end, can I ask, where do you get your funding? Yes, um, we are a variety of um, funding sources. Uh, donations and private donors fund part of our work and are invaluable. We would not be able to exist without private donations and the, the help that they provide. We also are grant funded through the Department of Justice for our human trafficking work and through the Attorney General's Office for our victims of, of crime work under the VOCA Act that we do, and as well as other city funders and managers County, Pinellas County, the city of Largo. It's an amalgam that keeps us going. It really is. It, it takes a, a lot of, of different little pots that, that care about these issues and we're, we, you know, are forever grateful to, to them for their support. Uh, the Juvenile Welfare Board also supports us in our, our projects with family law. So it is a little bit of city, state, and federal funding. Well, Gina, Lisa, and Malvina, thanks so much for joining us on 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Well, that was a discussion with three attorneys from Gulf Coast Legal Services, Gina Blair, Lisa Murray, and Malvina Tashi. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF.org. And uh, in just a second, we'll be right back after this short music break from Bob Marley with a student leader of this coming Friday climate strike. And if you'd like to call in, the number is 813-239-9663. You can email dj at wmnf.org or text 813-433-0885. It's 1239 in the afternoon. My name is Sean Canan. You're listening to WMNF's Midpoint Monday. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Struggle. 
Welcome back to WMNF's Midpoint Monday on 88.5 FM and WMNF.org. We're also now streaming live video on Facebook.com slash WMNF News. Our next guest joins us live in the studio to talk about this Friday's global climate strike. Here's a little bit of what the AP is saying. Hundreds of thousands of people are expected to join worldwide demonstrations this week ahead of a UN climate summit in New York as unions and some businesses lend their support for faster action to fight climate change. Organizers said today that more than 400 rallies are planned in Germany alone for Friday's global climate strike. Campaigners are also staging protests in Australia, Japan, India, South Africa, most other European countries, the United States, and Canada. Well, our guest is Kara Wyman. She's a student and uh, the Tampa lead with Youth Climate Strike. Welcome to WMNF's Midpoint, Kara. Hi, thank you for having me. So glad for you to join us on a school day. Thank you for joining us. You're a senior at Wiregla- Wiregrass Ranch High School in Pasco County, but you you get out uh, early. You didn't have to skip school for to come on the show today. Yeah, I get out at 11 o'clock, so I was fortunate enough to be able to come. Yeah, thanks so much for joining us. I think this is going to be a really great perspective for our listeners to hear from a high school student about why she is striking for the climate. Um, so tell us why. Um, I've always been very uh, passionate about protecting our environment, but I think it's clear now more than ever that, of course, climate change has these negative consequences. And the main goal of the strike is really just to call on elected government officials to take action against climate change and to uh, help to protect our environment and have consequences on companies for polluting our earth. Do you hear much about climate change in your high school uh, when you're in science class or when you're in your other classes? What kind of things are the teachers saying about climate or the students for that matter? Um, So we don't hear much about it in school. I mean, obviously, it's very briefly mentioned in science and history classes. Um, I mean, in school, though, students are very aware because of our social media and everything. We also have uh, Earth Club at my school. So students that are passionate about that are able to come together and help make our school more eco-friendly, which is really nice. Such as what? What do they do? Um, So right now, uh, Earth Club is working to get a garden, which is really fun. Uh, We're working to set that up this year. We got uh, a grant for it, which is really fun. Um, And then we also have recycling at the football games because a lot of the times the student sections will kind of be left um, trashed, which is, you know, not the best. So Earth Club has worked to um, set up recycling and garbage cans at the in the student section to make sure that the students aren't leaving their garbage on the ground. Well, what is the climate strike this Friday? There's a big climate strike and it's led by youth. What is what does that mean to you? Yeah, so the climate strike is a global um, is a global strike happening where students are students and other youth are working to call on government officials to help to prevent climate change and help take action. Um, you know, legislative action specifically, such as the Green New Deal, in order to ensure that our environment is protected and to help to limit carbon emissions. So you're in support of this legislature le- legislative um, idea called the Green New Deal, which was introduced this year by people like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. What does the Green New Deal mean to you? What, what kinds of uh, policy changes would that mean? So certain policy changes will um, work to advance the development of clean, green energy, which is very important, especially now more than ever. 
it will help to limit carbon emissions, uh, fossil fuels, and offshore fracking, which is really important, especially as uh, you know Floridians. That's very important to us, and it will definitely help to protect and preserve our environments and to ensure that, of course, we're not pumping out carbon emissions into our air and you know just preserving our environment. Our guest is Kara Wyman. She's a student with the Tampa and the Tampa lead that is with Youth Climate Strike. And they're hosting an action, co-hosting an action along with Our Climate, the Tampa Climate Action Rally. That's this Friday. It's from five in the evening until seven in the evening at Tampa City Hall, 315 East Kennedy Boulevard. It's one of two climate strikes in our area. Also on Friday in St. Petersburg, the St. Pete climate strike in March begins at City Hall at noon, and that lasts until 1.30. They're going to march a bit on that noontime uh, march in St. Pete. So there's two actions in just in our immediate area right here in Tampa Bay, but there's a total of six actions across Florida, which makes it the, the most number of actions of any state. Is that right? Um, yes, sir. At least for Youth Climate Strike, which is the organization that um, I'm, of course, the Tampa co-lead for. Um, so we have six in the state of Florida, making it the most in the United States, which is really great. What do you think will happen on uh, the Friday rally in, in Tampa City Hall at five from five to seven? Uh, so for our rally, uh, we're going to have petition signing, which is really excited. Uh, I really like some of the petitions that we have right now. Um, we're going to have poster making, we're going to have speakers, and of course, the typical rallying and chanting. Why at five o'clock in the afternoon? Um, so five o'clock, we really, uh, we're doing it in front of City Hall, which is a high traffic area. So during um, a rush hour, we're going to be in front of there. And then of course, those cars that are coming by are going to be able to see us and, you know, maybe interact with us <laughs> through honking or anything like that. Now, the word climate strike, it, it goes back to a school strike where people like Greta Thunberg and others are um, skipping school on Fridays, but that's not, yours is at five o'clock. And so people can still go to school and still participate in this, even if they don't skip school. But there are probably are people in the area that are going to strike from school. And for example, if they go to the St. Petersburg March at noon, they might have to leave school to do that or not go in the first place. Uh, have you heard from students who might be striking this Friday? And when I say strike, I'm specifically talking about missing school. Um, yeah, so I've heard from a couple of students in the St. Pete area that they are missing school uh, for the strike, which I do think is really important because, of course, it kind of throws off the balance of everything. And, of course, school is a government-based um, uh, activity, so it does help to show our government that we are serious about this. I want to give out the phone number so that people can call in and ask questions or, or make comments. And I just want to remind you first that our guest is Carol Wyman. She's a student at Wiregrass Ranch High School in Pasco County. She's a senior. She's also the Tampa lead with the Youth Climate Strike. That's this Friday uh, is the action in Tampa from five to seven at City Hall. And there's a, also a climate strike action in St. Pete and March at City Hall at noon in St. Petersburg. The number to call in, 813-239-9663. You can also email dj at wmnf.org. You can text 813-433-0885. You're listening to 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. It's 1248 in the afternoon. And uh, if you'd like, I'm going to read one email that came in about... Um, 
the, the previous segment, I should ask, he, there was a person who wanted to ask, David wants to ask our, my guest in the first segment, which was taped, whether there was high attorney turnover at legal aid societies because the, they don't pay very well and lawyers often move up onto higher paying roles in other law firms. So um, thank you for that question. I will try to find out the answer to that um, off the air and get back to you. But thank you for that question. If you'd like to email a question in to us now, dj at wmnf.org. Let me read a little bit more of what the AP is saying about this Friday's youth climate strike. The demonstrations will take days, take place just days before the UN climate summit, where leaders will present their long-term plans for curbing greenhouse gas emissions Climate change has become an increasingly important issue for voters in recent years, especially in Europe. In Germany, Chancellor Angela Merkel's government plans to announce a package of measures that would cut, put the country on course to cut its emissions by 55% by 2030 compared with 1990 levels. So these are some actions that are happening or some movement on the climate that's happening in Germany. But you'd like our our local elected officials and our federal elected officials to take action. And you've spoken with one of them. You were telling me before the show um, that you were talking with uh, Tampa area Congress member, Kathy Castor, and she is saying that she's going to support some of these uh, strikes. Yeah. So um, Kathy actually was at our previous strike, which was on March 15th. Um, She's a, she's so great. Uh, She is currently um, leading one of the, um, Sorry, the heads for... Uh, a committee chair. Yes, like, thank you. I'm so sorry. A committee chair for, um, you know, working with our government to lower greenhouse gas emissions. Uh, and she's going to be in Washington, D.C., attending a strike there. And she's also having a meeting with uh, Greta Thunberg, as you previously mentioned. Um, she's going to be in D.C. Um, in a couple of days. So they're going to have a meeting. And hopefully, you know, there will be some action to help prevent any pollution. That's becoming a household name, but for people who don't know, uh, Greta is a a Swedish climate youth activist. She's, I believe, 16 years old or 15 or or something like that. She's in school, but she... uh, strikes every Friday. She doesn't go to school. She started out um, standing in front of the Swedish parliament uh, to strike. And then uh, now she's in the United States to go to these uh, these meetings. But she struck in front of the White House on last Friday. And then this Friday, she'll be at in New York, I believe, or Washington. I'm sorry, Washington. I forget where. One of the big climate strikes this Friday. And then we'll be attending the UN uh, General Assembly, no, the UN Climate Talks. Sorry if I'm getting some of that mixed up, but that's, I'm just giving you some context about who we're talking about there. Um, Let me read more from the AP. A report released last year by a UN science panel concluded that there's still a chance to meet the 2015 Paris Climate Accords goal of keeping global temperatures from rising more than 1.5 degrees Celsius by 2100. That's almost three degrees Fahrenheit compared to pre-industrial times, but achieving that would require drastic measures, including ending the use of fossil fuels such as oil, gas, and coal by 2050. So these are some drastic measures. I mean, if you think about the cars that we got to this building in today are almost exclusively run on fossil fuels. So ending the use of fossil fuels by mid-century, that's a really um, serious maybe I'll use the word I know it has faults, but it's it's a sacrifice at some point um, for your generation, why are you willing to do that? Why are you um, in favor of making such a sacrifice? So, of course, for my generation, it may be a sacrifice, but for future generations to come, I think it's very important that they have clean and green energy sources because 
Of course, these are not renewable energy sources and they aren't sustainable. So we need to, um, you know, push development for these green sources and so that we have these renewable sources that are also, you know, healthy and beneficial to our environment rather than um, only furthering pollution. Yeah, I'm, I was a little bit leery to use the word sacrifice because I think um, the the point is that uh, people won't even may, may not even notice the transition because you certainly, if you drive a Tesla, you're not worried that you're not burning gasoline, right? It's in a lot of cases, uh, renewable energy is more efficient and just as you know is, is going to be. Uh, unnoticeably different from from uh, fossil fuels. So that's why I was uh, apologizing for using that word. Uh, our guest is Carol Wyman. She's a student at Wiregrass Ranch High School in Pasco County. She is the Tampa lead with the Youth Climate Strike. That's coming up this Friday at five o'clock in the evening, starting at five until seven at Tampa City Hall. And that's at 315 East Kennedy Boulevard. It's a smallish sidewalk. There's a little bit of room for people to gather. But what happens if you get a really big climate strike this Friday in Tampa? Yeah, so we have talked to um, the Tampa police in regards to our sizes. So in case that um, it does get too large of a strike, we will be walking a block over to uh, uh, Gaslight Park. Um, This is, we want originally to do it in front of City Hall because of the fact that our main goal is calling on government officials for radical legislation, which is really important to us. So that's why we're going to start at City Hall. And then if the numbers are too high or, you know, anything in regards to safety is getting concerning, then of course we're going to go to Gaslight Park um, with assistance of police. Our guest is Kara Wyman. You're listening to WMNF Tampa. She is a student in the Tampa lead with Youth Climate Strike. And uh, the in your statement, the um, the Youth Climate Strike statement, um, mission statement, I guess it is, says, we believe the climate crisis should be declared a national emergency because we are running out of time. That's a strong statement. Why would it be, um, why do you think we're running out of time, first of all? And second of all, why a, a national emergency? Yeah, so, I mean, it depends on who you ask regarding scientists. However, they have said that we only have a few years to find sustainable sources to ensure that we will not be furthering our uh, climate crisis to the point where it's um, undoable. And so we think it's really important for governments to declare it a climate crisis because that way they will push development and they will push green sources. And, of course, there will be uh, restrictions on, um, you know, harmful energy sources. Our guest is Carol Wyman, the Tampa lead with the Youth Climate Strike on 88.5 FM WMNF Tampa. So Carol, how did you get involved in climate activism? Yeah, so I mean, I want to say it's really (laughs) due to my parents, honestly. As, um, you know, when I was really young, my parents would always tell me all about, um, you know, the climate and these issues that we're facing today. And, you know, just anything really in regards to politics, they were very um, keen on keeping me in the loop of everything because they're very strong on, you know, making sure that our youth is educated on these important topics. And in regards to Youth Climate Strike, I got involved with them because um, I went on their website, which is uh, youthclimatestrikeus.org, 
and I went to see if there was any strikes in my area and I saw that there wasn't and I contacted the state lead of Florida and um, he let me know that there wouldn't be one in Tampa unless um, me and my other co-leads uh, Lauren and Anika would be willing to help out and of course you know we were more than willing to and then we had one in March 15th and this will be our third official uh, strike. So what was the one in March? How did that go? What, what happened there? And um, what's it like to, to be organizing them? Um, yeah, so I want to say when I first started off, obviously I wasn't as knowledgeable as I am now, um, but we knew that we had to reach out to represent representatives and, of course, organizations in the area that are green-focused. Um, and so we did that, and our first strike had about... Um, 30 to 40 attendants, and it was really nice. We also um, met the congresswoman there, as previously mentioned. And then, um, yeah, it was it was a smaller event, but it was still, you know, a, a learning experience. And, you know, that experience was great. And now with this September 20th one coming up, I feel like I'm a lot more knowledgeable and able to help to plan, um, you know, to plan a strike better. And, of course, to know all of the logistics that go into it. We're talking about the Youth Climate Action. The Tampa Climate Action Rally is hosted by Our Climate and Florida Youth Climate Strike. Our guest is Carol Wyman. She's a student and the Tampa lead with Youth Climate Strike. The Tampa Strike is from 5 to 7 in the evening on Friday at Tampa City Hall, 315 East Kennedy Boulevard. But there's also one earlier that day in St. Petersburg. The St. Pete Climate Strike in March begins at City Hall at noon, and it lasts until 1.30. Um, you know, in in, uh, in actions like this, sometimes people are wondering, well, why not just combine two actions on the same day and have one larger one? What were your thoughts in having one in Tampa rather than in just combining the, and being part of the St. Petersburg one? Yeah, so we wanted the strike to be accessible for, you know, a lot of people. And of course, you know, Tampa and St. Pete are close together, but they are, you know, still a traveling distance. And, you know, especially when it comes to cars and stuff, because we don't have a lot of public transportation down here. We wanted people in Tampa to be able to go to a strike without having to travel um, a far ways. If people want to find this on the website, again, the website for the Youth Climate Strike, but also if there's a Facebook event page, do you, can you tell people how to find those two things? Um, yeah, so our Facebook event page is linked with our climate as well as uh, Youth Climate Strike. So um, if you just go ahead on the uh, Facebook and you search for any uh, climate strikes um, in the area, you could go ahead and find that. Our guest is Carol Wyman. She's a student and the Tampa lead with Youth Climate Strike. And we do have someone on the line, so let's see if we can squeeze this in before the end of the show. Uh, we have Amika in Tampa. Hi, Amika. Hi. You're on the air. Go ahead, please. Yeah. Um, hi, Kara. I just wanted to ask like, about the specific demands that people are striking for uh, at the Youth Climate Strike. Yeah, so we're striking and we're looking for um, cleaner energy sources. Uh, we want le radical legislation from the government to uh, push cleaner um, energy sources, the Green New Deal, and um, education in schools specifically about climate change. Because as previously mentioned, we do not learn a lot about it um, in schools. And we think it's very important that our youth stay educated with these problems. All right. Thank you so much for that call, Amika. I appreciate you calling in. And um, I have one last question for you, Kara. Do you know if Mayor Jane Castor from Tampa will be attending your youth climate strike? 
Um, yeah, so we're not actually positive right now. We do know that she is aware of the event because um, uh, Green Gasparilla, um, his name's Dimitri, he talked to her about it briefly and mentioned that there would be a strike in uh, the Tampa area. However, it has not been confirmed or denied if she will be there. Okay, well, that's something we'll watch for. We'll watch to see if Tampa Mayor Jane Castor is your, at your climate strike. Tampa Climate Action Rally hosted by Our Climate and Florida Youth Climate Strike is this Friday from 5 to 7 in the evening at City Hall, 315 East Kennedy Boulevard. Thank you so much for joining us on WMNF's Midpoint, Kara. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thanks for coming in. Kara Wyman is the Tampa leader with Youth Climate Strike. And there's also one in St. Petersburg. The St. Pete Climate Strike in March begins at City Hall at noon and lasts until 1.30. Thanks to... Uh, Thanks to the caller we got and the emailer. So if you'd like to leave your voicemail with your thoughts, call me at 813-238-8001, extension 114. I'll play your next message next show. Got a great show next week. Thanks to Blanny Whalen, Alvaro Montelegre, and Frank, Frank Knox. Next week, we'll talk about mosaic dumping waste.